Please join me in Psalm 100 as we continue our series through the summer here. We're calling the big picture. And we're looking at God's plan, his plan for salvation history summarized in these four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Last Sunday, we were in Genesis 1, and we took on creation, and we affirmed together that we have a good creator that created a good creation. We affirmed our understanding from the Word of God that we are not here by random chance. We're not here because of something random that happened and that through billions of years of just random unguided mutations, somehow we find ourselves conscious humans. That's not our understanding of ourselves at all. God created this impressive universe with his word. And as he said, it was good. And so let's take our minds back to that creation week. We're on our way to Psalm 100, but just think back to that creation week and how everything was right that week. Everything that God created was in order. All needs were met on the earth in that created condition. There was complete harmony in the world. There was harmony between God and his creation, specifically between God and man, between men and nature, even between animal and animal. All, were, all things were in harmony. There was no division on the earth, no death on the earth. And those first two human beings, you think about it, they had the type of life that you and I wish we had, right? When, when everything's working and there's not a problem to be had. So here they had perfect companionship with the first man and first woman. They had a perfect relationship with God and they lived on a completely perfect, peaceful and disease-free planet. Think of it. There was no pollution. There was no poverty. There was no war. When God created the world, there was no crime. There was no corruption. It was good. The life we long for, Adam and Eve, they had it. And we'll talk next week about what went wrong as we move in to talk about the fall. Because we think, I don't, that's not the life I'm living. It's far from that. What happened if God created it so good? Next week and the week after, we're going to take on the fall. But this week, we're going to stay with this theme this important doctrine of creation, and we're going to dwell here. Now, you know this from the Bible. It's not just taught in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Starts there, so much truth there about our creation. But all throughout the scriptures, even from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, here, Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. That's Revelation. It's throughout the Bible. Today, though, let's meditate in Psalm 100. And today, specifically, I want you to notice with me how we should relate and respond to this creator that we're affirming. So Psalm 100, let's pick up together verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we're his. We're his people. And the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. What a beautiful psalm. And the sweeping statement that all people in every place should be giving worship to their maker, their God. So why all of this worship to God? Why directed at him all this joy? The answer, because he made us and therefore we are his. So I want you to see with me this morning how essential and practical it is that you affirm God as your creator. If you were to be one who would believe that you are here just by a random, uncaused explosion in deep space billions of years ago, and that everything that's come from that is random, undirected mutations, and somehow you're a human being, that will show up in your life. Your life will be marked by words like this, faithless, godless, pointless, hopeless. If you really believe that you're here by a cosmic accident, then you're going to have no awe toward God. You'll have no sense of obligation toward God. He didn't make me. I don't know how I'm here. I just live my life. You would think more of the fictional Mother Earth than the reality of Father God. You would just live your life for small, selfish, temporary dreams rather than the grand story of God that we're taking on together. So you must see. You must see that you have a creator. And this psalm tells you, and we'll talk about it here in a moment, how this creator, he loves you. That you can know him. You can enjoy him. This creator has plans and purposes for your life. So let's take on this as our first point here. Knowing God as creator is essential for your life. Knowing God as creator is essential for your life. That's verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we're his, we're his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 95 speaks the same way. Psalm 95, three says, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains of the mountains are his also. Listen to this. The sea is his for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. And then the implication, the next verse. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So affirm it again today to your soul. God made me. In fact, God created it all. He created the seas. He created the mountains. They all belong to him. And he made all of us. We belong to him. And if you're among those who have trusted in Christ, you have now a special relationship with your creator. You get to be called his people. Even here described as his sheep. You get to know this powerful creator who ex expresses his care for you. Psalm 100 again, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 95 says we're the sheep of his hand. I love that intimacy of that kind of statement. So our creator designed us and intends for us to walk with him as his people, as his sheep. He is our shepherd. Do you recall the 23rd Psalm? Speaking of your creator, awesome power, infinite in power. Here's what David said of him. The Lord, that Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So see with me that we have God who is our creator. And for those who acknowledge him, he is our caring leader and provider. Back to our text here in the 100th Psalm. Notice the command here is to know him. Verse three again, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. That is a command. And so let me ask you, do you know God? Do you know that he made you? Do you embrace that? Have you acknowledged him? Are you his? Would you say, yeah, that's, that's how I would describe myself. I am his. I don't belong to myself. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his loved sheep? Today, would you acknowledge him? Now, there is an alternative to Psalm 100, to where we rejoice and delight in our maker. And we could look at a number of places, I suppose, but I'm thinking of Romans chapter 1. Really, the contrast for a person is, no, he's not my God. I'm not going to surrender to him. We get a glimpse into how ugly that is. And Romans 1 describes what it looks like to reject your creator and to begin to worship the creation instead. We're going to see in this passage that people are blind in that condition and it leads to greater blindness, including sexual immorality and all kinds of other sins. Here with me, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. This is the contrast to Psalm 100. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since, catch it, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. God here, through his apostle Paul, he gives what we could call fighting words. He looks at the people he made who are in rebellion against him and he says these types of things. They're claiming to be wise, but they have become fools. These foolish hearts that they have, they become even further darkened but then did you notice there in Romans 1, they are without excuse. They're suppressing the truth 
that God has made available to them. So in other words, there's enough evidence in creation for every human being to acknowledge, oh, there's a God and he's good. And we can pick up his attributes just by looking at what he made. So there is this external evidence that in creation that points absolutely to an intelligent God. There's an internal corroboration that God says he's given to every human being that everybody deep down knows there is a God who made them. They're just suppressing that knowledge. And then beyond that, though, there's this special revelation. This is God explicitly telling you in his word, I made you. There's no accident here. You should know that. So think about it. At the judgment, our God will not at all be impressed with anybody who says, hey, God, you can't judge me because I didn't even believe you existed. My buddies and me, we didn't even, we didn't acknowledge you. We had a club. We talked about how we don't believe in you. You can't judge me. Would God be impressed with that? Here's what God would say in response to that. You knew, you knew. You just didn't want to know. You didn't want the truth. You suppressed it. I know you knew because I made this known to you. You can't bluff the creator. God is telling you here that he made you to know him. Again, we read here that for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He has done this himself. Everyone knows deep down that there is a creator. They are without excuse. Again, the word says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Believer, hold firm to your faith in your God who made you. Albert Moeller said this, he said, the entire intellectual enterprise of evolution is based on naturalistic assumptions and I do not share those presuppositions. Indeed, the entire enterprise of Christianity is based on supernaturalistic rather than merely naturalistic assumptions. There is absolutely no reason that a Christian theologian should accept the uniformitarian assumptions of evolution. In fact, giving a plain reading of scripture, there is every reason that Christians should reject a uniformitarian presupposition. The Bible itself offers a very different understanding of natural phenomena with explanations that should be compelling to believers. In other words, you and I acknowledge and affirm the supernatural creation of this world by God himself. But this acknowledgement doesn't just leave us with a passive idea, well, I've got that box checked in my theology. This moves us as you're going to see. So first of all, it's essential that you know that God created you. Secondly, notice this, you can know him personally. You can know this God. Verse three again, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his, we're his people and the sheep of his pasture. You can know him. You can come to know him through Christ. You can know his name, Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 and following say this. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And that passage goes on to say this, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so through trusting in Jesus as your savior, you can know God 
personally. You can have God as your father. God here likened to your shepherd. And what a great thrill and honor it is to belong to God. Some months ago now, I was perusing my news app and I came upon a story of Tom Brady playing catch with his, what appeared to be his teenage son. And I just thought about that for a second. Wow, Tom Brady has a son. And uh, then I thought, what it would be like to be Tom Brady's son? And so if you don't know who Tom Brady is, probably the best quarterback ever to play in the NFL. And uh, he has a son and he can play catch with his son. I thought, that's, that's quite an amazing thing. And I just thought about the wealth of growing up Tom Brady's son and the opportunities that would be his, the kind of the fun of that, going to these games and seeing his dad do these things and just, just the opportunities, the privileges that were his. But then you pivot back and you and I through Jesus, we are children of God. There's no greater awe and honor than that to know your maker, to know the Lord himself is amazing. In fact, if you're here today and you say, I don't know that I'm a child of God. You don't become a child of God merely by being created, but it is by receiving Jesus as your savior. Here's what John 1:12 says. What a great invitation. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today, you can become a child of God. Turn from your sin, turn from anything else you've been trusting. Trust only in Jesus. You can become a child of God today. So we've been talking about how knowing God as creator is essential. We've seen that you can know this God personally through trusting Jesus. Now this, knowing God inspires joy and worship. Did you notice these words here in Psalm 100? Words like joyful noise, singing, thanksgiving, praise. These are words of delight. These are words of being thrilled. Certainly not boredom, certainly not a drudgery. So think about it. Something's very off in your heart and in your mind if when you think about God, nothing's moving within you. Now, I understand we get sick sometimes and we get super fatigued sometimes. I get that. But if, but if you think about whenever you think about God, it's just kind of a whatever type of topic. Something's very off. Because go back to our psalm here. Look at it again. Psalm 100 verse 1. Notice the emotion here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Listen to this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Here's another one. Bless his name for the Lord is good. The same language in Psalm 95, we read this. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So what is an appropriate response to acknowledging God as your maker? Worship, bowing down and surrender, kneeling before him, being overjoyed by him. So it's a great privilege to know him. But did you notice here in the text also, Psalm 100, we're told that we actually can draw near to this awesome God. Over and over again, we're told that. How about verse two? Come into his presence with singing. That's amazing. Our God is so awesome. He could create universes and all the distant galaxies. Our God made all that and he made you. And he says to you, come into my presence. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. God's saying, come to me. We read in James chapter four, draw near to God 
And he will draw near to you over and over again. This amazing God is offering for you to come near. And if you're among the believers in Christ, here in this new covenant, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of you. Here's a God who wants to be near you. So knowing your creator and your savior is a delight. So here's a question. Does that describe your worship? Does this describe your relationship with God? Would you say, yeah, I'm making joyful noises. I, I'm praising him. My heart's full of thanksgiving all through the week. Is that you? And if not, here's the question, why not? It could be simple neglect. Your head's down. You're busy about everything else. You're neglecting this rich opportunity to meet with God and be in his word and pray and abide in him, as the scripture says. And because you're neglecting him, there's just no joy. There's nothing firing off in your heart toward this awesome God. Or perhaps it's an obvious sin in your life. And only you and God know, perhaps. But if there's something obvious in your life that you know shouldn't be there, that's going to be an impediment to your joy. You realize as a genuine Christian, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your joy when you get into stubborn sin. And, and this would be a great moment right there between you and God to say, I, I forsake that sin, Lord, that I might have the intimacy with you. I want to abide in you. I want to bear fruit. I want to have this joy that you talk about. So neglecting causes us to lose this, this excitement about God, obvious sin we have to cast away or just carelessness, I suppose. Maybe even coming in this morning, a mind could be more on who's going to be there and who's not going to be there. Rather, I'm going to be, I'm going to be worshiping almighty God. So notice these commands here in Psalm 100 and worship him joyfully. Think about who this is. We're worshiping, read his words, celebrate him, be in awe of him. Again, Revelation 4:11. worthy are you, O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Or Psalm 33 verses eight and nine, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Knowing God is your creator, that's essential for your life. And you can know him personally through faith in Jesus. Knowing God is your creator inspires joy and worship. And then this, Knowing God as creator inspires right service. Did you notice verse two? Serve the Lord with gladness. God created you to know him, yes, to worship him and to serve him. Have you ever made something? I'm not a very creative person, but if you make something, you had a reason for making it. So maybe you're good with wood and you made a rocking chair. And that would be a pretty impressive thing to make. And you would have a reason for doing that. And so if you made a rocking chair, you're either going to give it to somebody that they can enjoy rocking in it or that you might rock in it yourself. It's just what you do when you make something. Or if you built a patio in your backyard, you would do that for a reason, that you might enjoy that space more. If you were an artist and could paint beautiful pictures, you'd either make that for somebody else to enjoy, that'd be its purpose, or you would put it on your wall that you might enjoy it. Again, I mentioned I'm not very creative, but about seven years ago, during one insanely hot and humid July week, our Cedar Summit Playhouse arrived with the slides and swings that arrived. And Joy and I had to build that in our backyard. This was Joy's vision. Her idea was, hey, Jim, let's get that. Let's put it in the backyard because our kids at that time were young enough to play a little bit on it before they move into the teen years and, and have no interest. 
but then whatever grandchildren we have, they'll be able to play on this. And so I went along with her vision. Now, Joy's not responsible for the week we had to build it, but it was miserable. It was hot. I remember at one point, their kids were bringing us water and uh, one of them even bringing, uh, brought an umbrella to hold over us to give us a little momentary break from it. But it was, it was a week of misery, but we built it. And it was sweet to watch our, our two that were still at home play a little bit on it before they outgrew it pretty quick. And then the grandchildren that we didn't know at the time, but here they come. And it has been wonderful to see them play and come down the slides and be on the swings. And so I once again, again commend Joy's vision for it. Made it with sweat before a wonderful purpose. That's why we make things. And so God made you. Not just, I didn't have a plan. No, he made you for a purpose. And part of that is that you're going to serve the Lord with gladness. We serve him out of a sense of purpose because we're designed for this. Here during our vacation Bible school, that theme verse that our kids and adults heard all week, hear it again, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you were created for serving the Lord. You were even born again. You were made new in Christ that you would serve the Lord. It's why we exist. And notice we're to serve him with gladness. That's the heart we bring into this. Matthew Henry wrote this, let God be served with gladness by holy joy. We do really serve God. It is an honor to him to rejoice in him. We ought to serve him with holy joy. We must intermix praise and thanksgiving with all of our services. This golden thread must run through every duty. And at this VBS this past week, it was, it was really wonderful to watch this serving the Lord with gladness on display. From people who donated things ahead of time, to people who prayed for the whole effort, to the sound people, to the people doing the snacks, to people moving the kids around and those teaching the Bible and teaching missions and crafts, all that, to watch the body of Christ work and to do so with gladness. It was, it was beautiful to watch. It was a great object lesson for what we're talking about right here. And of course, as we all experience who were a part of it, there's still fatigue involved. So we served with caffeine and gladness. I think during a lot of that week, but to watch God's people serve together, enjoy each other's company in this thing that was bigger than ourselves. How beautiful. And really that's what we're to be about as God's people, personally serving God, but alongside brothers and sisters is what we were designed to do. In fact, we would say it this way to not serve God. Wouldn't that be unthinkable? I think God made me to serve him with gladness and I'm not going to give him that. I'm not going to look for where I should serve. That's just unthinkable. That's to live outside of your purpose. And then this, the final verse, let's just consider it for a moment. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. God has always been good. Long before he created the world, he was eternal and good. When he created the world, he was good. And until he comes again, he's good. And throughout all generations, throughout all eternity to come, he is good. His love for you will endure forever, we're told. So whatever generation you see yourself in, listen, God loves you and is faithful to you. If you're among the baby boomers, God's faithful and he loves you. If you're among Gen X, he loves you. He's faithful. If you're among the millennials or if you're among Gen Z, or if you're in whatever generation we're going to call it next, maybe we loop back around Gen A, God loves you. 
He's faithful. That's just his nature. And you, you want to know him. And so today, would you turn from anything else that you've been chasing and say, I will have Jesus. He, he's my maker. Why would I run from him? Nobody loves me like he loves me. So would you stop running from him, turn to him and Jesus, I trust in you. Why Jesus? Because he loved you so much. He left heaven to rescue you from your sin. Jesus died on a cross. He died for your sins on a cross and then was raised from the dead. And he's offering, if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Today, acknowledge God as your creator. Acknowledge Jesus as your savior. Experience him as your father. Become one of his sheep as you trust in him.